now. Atena tato katoa, ehui maine itine ra. Greetings to all of you who have gathered here today. No mai hari mai to hikui pa hauora, making connections in the Hakarimata Ranges, the Learns Field Trip Web Conference, called Andrew Toku Ingoa on the Learns Kaiarahi. And just before we get underway with our web conference, I'll begin with a karakia. Well, once again, welcome. Uh, <clears throat> welcome to anybody listening and welcome especially to our, our experts this morning. We've got Lauren from Hiringa Anuku and, and Matu Taira who is a man of many talents, um, but I will just quickly hand it over to you to, to introduce yourselves and talk a little bit more about the mahi you do. So, um, Lauren, would you like to introduce yourself, please? Yeah, kia ora. So, yeah, my name's Lauren. I work at Haringa Anuku, the Outdoor Access Commission. Um, and we basically help um, support people as they are building trails to um, connect them to nature, to each other, and hopefully all around New Zealand at some point. Um, so we don't go out there with our spades, but we're there to help and support with um, advice, connecting people, legal stuff like that. And we also try to advocate for um, enjoying the outdoors responsibly. So particularly with regards to private land and things like that. Um, yeah, so it was great to take part in, in this trip. I'm looking forward to talking about it. Thanks, Lauren. And Mati Taira. Yeah, kia ora, Andrew. Uh, tēnā koutou. Um, yeah, uh, mihi katika ki a koe, Andrew, nau i tukuna te karakia i tēnei ata, hei whakawate a te huarahi mā tātou. So thank you for clearing the way for our uh, for our hikoi for, for hauora kōrero this morning. Um, yeah, ko matu taira tōku ingoa, uh, nō Ngārua Wahia. Um, yeah, I've grown up in Ngārua Wahia and, and basically what I do is I run a, a family-owned business um, where we take people on guided walking tours around um, uh, the point in Ngārua Wahia where the Waikato and the Waipa River meet. And consequently, that's right where the Hakari Mata Ranges are as well. And um, so, yeah, it's awesome to be here. And, yeah, I'm committed to sharing um, our local stories uh, so that people can know, you know, um, what's happened in Ngārua Wahia and, yeah, who we are and what we're up to. So, kia ora koutou. Kia ora, Mati Taira. Yeah, and it's a beautiful little part of the motu, Ngārua Wahia. And I, I spoke and had a kōrero with Mati Taira recently um, on, a, on a spot that he does with Tainui FM. And I said to him that I felt guilty for always passing by Ngārua Wahia because I used to go to university in Kirikirirua, Hamilton. Um, and I'd drive back home to Tamaki Mikado, straight past Ngārua Wahia, straight through. And uh, it was so neat to actually go there for this hikoi and um, learn a bit more about the, the rohe there and um, and experience those beautiful ranges that are just on the doorstep. So, and uh, having having Mata Taita there, uh, share a bit about his connections to the area and some of the history was fantastic. Okay, so we've got a few questions to put to you today and um, we can just take some turns answering those. Um, but I just wanted to kick off and thinking about 
Ahikoi, a walk that you've been on perhaps recently or in the past. I know, Lauren, you're a bit of a keen hiker. What's been a particularly memorable one for either of you? Lauren, would you like to start? Um, yeah, okay. So I think, um, oh, I'm going to give a bit of feedback. Sorry, that's really off topic. <laughs> um, is that on your, your mic, Andrew, maybe? There you go. Um, yeah, so I really like going to these wild alpine places now. And I was thinking, okay, what's what's uh, one of those with a track that I could talk about? And I think probably a good um, gateway experience to those wild alpine walks is um, a walk up the Wil Wilkin Valley. Um, so that's in the South Island that's sort of north of Wanaka, quite a bit north. Um, and the reason it was memorable for me is because of all the little experiences that I had along the way. Um, I think it was the first time I swam in a town um, and that was great with the mountains around me and lush vegetation, nice um, sort of green waters of the town. Um, and then further up the valley, there's, there's more lakes. So that, that Lake Castalia was just stunning with um, ice floating in it still. Um, I even saw rock wren there for the first time, my favourite bird now. Um, and also saw a family of stoats, which if you don't think about how devastating they are to our wildlife, are actually pretty cute. <laughs> so that was kind of like, you know, good and bad at the same time, um, but, but definitely memorable. And I think it was probably the first time I just really took my time on a tramp and just chilled out in places and, and soaked it all in. So, yeah, probably that's my favourite. I'm sure soaking in a, a, um, a mountain lake would be um, certainly chilling out. <laughs> <laughs> and Rock Green, of course, bird of the year last year. Fantastic. Yeah, we campaigned for that here at Hanga Anuku, and um, it, yeah, we were amazed. It, it came first, so it's great to get that little guy some more attention. Awesome. Matu Taira, been on any hikoi's that were memorable for you? Oh man, yeah, yeah, really memorable actually. The last time I was up Hakrimata, I was up there with the um, the Hakrimata Predator Free crew, and um, we're up there setting um, some bait traps uh, for the for the possums. And the the lines that we were um, that we were checking were uh, very overgrown. So yeah, got a bit, got a little bit lost up there actually. <laughs> And the person I was with was local. Her, her family lived at the bottom of the range. Um, and so she called her dad up and was like, explain what she could see from where she was and where she thought she was. And he was like, oh, yeah, I know where you are. Just keep heading in that direction and you'll come to a you know place you'll be able to make it down. I was like, was full on bushwhacking, man. I had, hadn't done that for so long since I was a kid. Um, of course, there are beautiful tracks up the Hakari Mata now. But, and when I was a kid, yeah, we used to make our own tracks. You know, and just sort of make our own way. And um, I hadn't experienced that for so long, uh, but getting up there with the Predator Free crew was, yeah, was so, so cool. Um, and getting a little bit lost was also really exciting at the same time. <laughs> but um, yeah, like I, I, what really got me when I was up there was just really how if you let things just, just go, you know, like just how lush it was. I was like, man, I hadn't been in that that real lush, thick bush for a long time, and and I, I was like thinking to myself, man, I should bring my kids up here and you know give them the experience of actually being you know like adventuring through the 
through the thick bush um, rather than just walking up those really nice comfortable stairs um, but yeah that was that was an adventure and um, I'm actually looking forward to getting up there and yeah doing that again and, and getting rid of all those pesty possums up there man <laughs> yeah no that sounds like you're doing some great mahi there I know that it's a really active uh, group pestry haikari mata we're not necessarily advocating young people to um, go off track. Probably not the safest thing, but certainly if you're with somebody that knows where they are and what they're doing, um, that's probably okay. Uh, Barry's just put in the chat there, welcome to listening school. So I know we've had uh, somebody else join us, so you're welcome if, if you are listening fast today. And as he said, if you've got any questions We'll have time, hopefully, at the end of this corridor to answer them. Otherwise, if you're happy just listening, just listen. That's fine. So the field trip was all about connecting with nature. And um, and I, it, the question here is, can it improve my whole order of well-being? Well, I think we know that it does. Why does it help us improve our feelings of well-being and whole order connecting with nature. Lauren, what's your take on that? Um, my take. Uh yeah, like you say, it's it's well known. Like there's lots of scientific studies out there saying that nature is good for us. And I know that for me, I miss it when I haven't been out there for a while. I'll probably say that I need a dose of vitamin N for nature. Um and I mean, I so where I work, I work in communications and, and we get Google alerts every day for things that have relevant keywords in them in the news. And almost every day I see a story about someone who has just walked Tearoa, the long, the long pathway right through New Zealand. And um, more often than not, they're talking about how it's healed them and it's it's really uh, benefited their well-being. So, you know, hard, hard to argue with. And um, like I mentioned on the on the trip that we did, there's a reason why we call her Mother Earth or Papatuanuku, which is, you know, it's that nurturing, um, that nurturing element, that aspect that just feels right when we're out there and, and feels wrong when, when we're not. I and mean, I'd rather go out for a walk and take in the view in nature than just sit in a quiet room. You know, it's more it's about more than getting away. It's about getting to somewhere or getting back to something. So, yeah, that's just my thoughts on it anyway. Thanks, Lauren. Yeah, Lauren, I love that. And, you know, what's coming up for me is that, you know, when, when I um, do go and reconnect with nature, um, you know, and, and get into the bush, for me it's, you know, reconnecting with ancestors, you know, and, and, and reconnecting with, um, you know, an uh, integral part of myself. You know, and that, and I think that's really the the Maori worldview is that we're a part of everything, you know, and everything is a part of us. And when we go into those natural spaces, um, even you know, even waterways or bodies of water, I get this a very similar experience. But you know, up in the bush with all of the um, the different trees and you know the insects and you know the manu, the birds. It, for me, um, I just get really present to Tane Mahuta. Um, you know, the, the creator of mankind. And, and I get really um, grateful for all the things that I have, you know, and, and for the, the, the oxygen and the air that those trees provide for me and the relationship that exists between my out-breath and their in-breath, the, the out-breath of the trees and, you know, my in-breath, it's, it's all cyclical and connected. So 
I think for me, it's a, it's not only a, a physical kind of connection because I am breathing in that, that beautiful air and, and feeding those trees at the same time. Um, but yeah, it's also a, a spiritual connection knowing that, you know, we are interconnected, that we all come from the, you know, from, from the same space that the, the animals and the birds and the bees, you know, that's where I come from as well. Um, and they, they are my brothers and sisters and my relatives, my whanau. And so I think when, when I'm connecting with nature, um, yeah, I'm getting to reconnect with my whanau. As you said, it's not like getting away from somewhere. It's actually about getting back to somewhere and getting back to me, getting back to who I am. And, um, yeah, and, and from that space, yeah, I can go forth in my day and, and with the remembering you know, and the acknowledgement of who I am and who I and everything I'm connected to. And so therefore when I um, engage with anyone or anything after reconnecting with nature, um, you know, I feel a lot more open, a lot more receptive and a, a lot more capable of being with others and like really enjoying them. <laughs> so yeah, I think that does a lot for my own personal mental uh, well-being. Um, in my my relationships, oh, kia ora. And, and sticking with that kind of about those connections, so um, we, we could talk about um, you know, kipail, uh, the environment, nahere, uh, and generally speaking, but often these stories in particular places. And you told us a couple of stories on the hikoi um, about people who were. Um, you know, roaming those parts of Haikarimata back in the day. And so, and, and sometimes it's also stories about the manga themselves or the awa that flow uh, through and around them. Quite often there's stories attached to those those special places and um, geographical features. Why is it important to know about stories like that and make connections that way? Yeah, you know, when I think about the, the story of, say, Topiri Mauna, of which is at the end of the Hakarimata range um, across the other side of the Waikato River, and the Waikato pretty much splits the range um, between Topiri. And the story of Topiri, you know, and how Topiri moved from, um, you know, from the volcanic plateau and central plateau and um, where Tongariro and Ruapehu are, and, and, you know, Topiri made his way to, um, down here to the Waikato, um, you know, then the river was created to send the healing waters to Topiri. Um, like knowing all those things for me, um, you know, gives me a connection to the past, you know, it gives me a connection to our ancestors and a connection to a time before I was here, you know, before like anybody that I know was here, you know, and having that connection to an ancient past for me, makes me feel like I belong, you know, it makes me feel like, you know, this is, you know, this is my place, and knowing these stories, you know, is, is kind of like, this is part of, you know, what this place is, and therefore, it's a part of who I am, so yeah, I, I think, you know, knowing the, the stories of a place, um, knowing what has happened there before, gives us an opportunity to continue on, um, you know, some of those practices and activities that our ancestors used to take on um, you know and, and an opportunity to um, revitalize and revive some of those practices but yeah just really 
um, you know, those stories connect me with that place and really gives me a sense of belonging, ownership, and therefore responsibility of taking care of that place. Yeah. I really like what you said too about, you know, stories about these places and stories that took place before people. And so for me, that gives me a sense of these 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 spaces are, are bigger bigger than us. And so they're powerful. And I think that's humbling when you think about things like that. And so, and, and the word respects really comes to my mind when we think about these places. So with something so powerful and bigger than us, we must, we must respect, um, respect those places for what they are. This next question is um, a good one for Lauren, uh, given that they are the outdoor access, hearing Anuku. Um, how can I find out about places to go walking in around me? And then, of course, and and and, and following that too, um, how do we find out about the stories of these different places? Yeah, um, it's it's an interesting one because uh, historically, or for a long time, um, stories have been well, places to go have been and sort of separated out. I think when I first got here, I moved here 20 years ago, I used to go straight to either my Tramping in New Zealand book or the DOC website. Um, and the thing is, not all walks are managed by DOC, a lot of them are, but um, you know, really probably a good place to go is um, Mountain Safety Council's website, Plan My Walk, where they're pulling in trails from all different places. So they've got the DOC walks, they've got uh, walks from other councils and you know they're, they're building that that database all the time um, but it's still worth looking at your local um, say tourist information or, or library um, I when I first got here I used to value going to the library just to get a leaflet so I had something physical in my hand with a nice map drawn on it and then I can walk around with that and not worry about um, you know wi-fi connection um, now, if you want to explore somewhere a little bit off the beaten track, maybe find a secret track, you could look on our website because we've got um, the maps for um, all public access land. And that includes these things called unformed legal roads. And you don't see those even on a, a topographic map. Um, they are effectively legally the same as a, as a normal road. Um, so you have a right to go that way, but they can look just like a piece of farmland, you know, um, because they haven't been formed or developed. Uh, so that's a, a good tip. Look at our website, look at our maps um, and compare the public access layer with with that um, topographic map underneath. We've got some guidelines online uh, and you might just find some some hidden walks nearby um, in terms of stories. I think that probably is a good classroom project. If you're looking at um, doing a, a walk nearby and learning more about it, um, some of those local stories can be quite hidden. So I, I would say, you know, go to your local historical society or, or council or just ask around the, um, the knowledge keepers in your area and, um, and, and build up knowledge that way or even local landowners will probably have a, a lot of knowledge on the area because um, sadly we don't really have uh historical stories or you know much cultural aspect when we talk about look, going for a walk you go to dot website or or plan my walk you might get a little bit you might get a little flavor but for that um detail if there isn't already a book on it um it, it's kind of hidden but that's that's exciting i think if you can unearth that and, and um maybe develop a project where sometimes we support people as they're building trails 
they will want to put signage on the trail and it will talk about things, um, you know, the nature that's there, the history of the place, um, uh, maybe donors and things like that. So, so yeah, a lot of aspects to that storytelling. Yeah, because it was one of the big features of our uh, field trip was learning about the history of it in the area, making those connections. And some of the Aakonga that joined us on that hikoi um, knew a bit about that area and were from that area. And so some of their goals were to learn more about that to make those deeper connections. We all need, and we need, everyone place needs a matu taira to be there with them. Um, someone that has that knowledge. Any other ideas in terms of finding out stories about these places, matu taira? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and fortunately, like here in the Waikato, um, you know, the, our council's put on a, a lot of, you know, effort to um, actually post up a lot of the local stories and information um, along the Te Awa Cycleway um, and down at the point. Um, there is a little bit of information up at the actual range at Hakarimata, and there's actually a, um, a an app that they've got that, that you know share some of the stories um yeah and no, I, I haven't successfully been able to use that um but you know i know there are a lot of um public um you know uh, information around different areas um you know other than that man you know what my my advice is to get in touch with the local um kura so the local kura kaupapa um, you know, there are a wealth of local knowledge and information in terms of Māori history and stories um, at those schools, um, you know, because that, that's why they exist to basically, you know, um, continue to maintain these these stories of our ancestors and of our people and places. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, for other, um, and, and I've been thinking about this for myself, I'm going to be doing some work with our local kahuiako, uh, and they're our mainstream um, schools. And I'm, I'm actually like looking at ways we can connect them and build relationships between the Kura Kaupapa uh, schools and the mainstream schools um, to support those mainstream schools and actually having a lot more access to um, Te Ao Māori and the stories and, yeah, the, the I suppose the, the knowledge and mātauranga that's available there. Um, but otherwise, man, there's a so much information now um on online about you know different places and different people and so yeah that, that's that's where i go to get a lot of my information to be honest is um you know i, I research online and and have conversations with people that i know yeah you know, i'm fortunate that i know some people who know some stuff i suppose he's <laughs> got to have the right connections hey um yeah so the um Oh, yeah, I was going to say those the app-based systems, um, like there's one operating in Hakari Mata, and we were recently in Tawamutu, and there's another really cool um, app trail. Like, you, So you go to these, you, I think you might download the app or something, and when you're at these different locations, you can, it comes up on your phone, the location that you're at and, and information about that place. and an old story. So those sorts of things are really um, growing in popularity and obviously are quite accessible because most people walk around with a phone. Um, and just um, thinking about uh, you don't need the app, just scan the QR, the, you don't even need the app. It's, it's even easier than that. Um, is that the Taumutu one? Yeah. 
So, um, yeah, I know too, um, uh, Andrew, that um, one of my mates over in Tauranga, Lee Tumitumu, he's developed um, uh, Arataki, Arataki app. And yeah, and, and I know that he's, he's um, gathering a lot of different cultural stories at different places. Um, and he's actually created at the Waikato Tainui College in uh, Hopuhopu here. Um, yeah, he's got a uh, he's got a cordial about the different concrete um, po that that lead up to the up to the Farewana. Um and yeah, I know that he's been creating other um, stories and information about other areas as well. So. Yeah, Arataki uh, Systems is like a, a, another opportunity to, yeah, get the um, information. You know, what I like about that is that, you know, it makes you stop, you take, just pause for a wee while at, at different places and just take in that place itself just for what it is, but to, to just stop and learn a bit about a place as you go. Sometimes, um, you know, we're so... Hell bent on getting to the top of something or to the end of the trail, you know, like, but the actual, it's it's all part of that that journey, isn't it? Just taking your time, appreciating what's around you and learning a bit, a bit about the places you go. I think that's really, really important. It's not just about getting to the end of your hikoi. Um, and um, you were talking before, Mati Tyler, about looking after a place with regards to a predator-free, pest-free hakari mata. And so the question is, you know, why is it important to look after these places? But the other question is too, you know, what can we do to look after places around us? Yeah, man, it's a an awesome question. And, you know, um, Greg Townsend is the brother who who's really heading up the... Um, the charge on, the, especially in the north of Hakurimata Ranges um, and the, 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 the predator-free Hakurimata group. And he's been doing a magnificent job up there trapping those possums and rats and, and stuff. And, you know, what I've learned from, from Greg is that, you know, um, together, you know, and, and really this is what's required is the numbers to consistently get up there and continue to eradicate these pests. And, you know, the reason for doing that is so that we can bring back the food, the trees, you know, the berries and the fruits that these trees have for the different birds to be able to come back. And so sadly, up in the north end of Hakarimata, it's very quiet. You know, um, there's, there's not too many birds there. And, you know, um, the mission is to bring back the, the, the dawn chorus and to bring back those birds and that wildlife to, um, to the area. And, um, for me, that's a real indication of the, the, the health the, and vitality of that land, of that whenua and of that area. And, you know, when we can hear those birds and those insects thriving, then we know that the well-being of that place and the modi, the life force of that place is, is awesome. You know, and when we can't hear much and we can't see much, then we know it's struggling. Um, so, yeah, the ideal is to, to get it back to thriving. And, you know, having our environment thriving, um, you know, that impacts us. You know, when our environment is thriving, we too get to thrive. You know, and we, we get to thrive um, also in our, our collective, you know, work that we do to actually go and take care of, you know, the, the bush and, and, and of the, those trees up there. Um, 
so yeah, for me, it's like I get to get some real good physical exercise and, and natural connection with the, with the bush um, by going up there and doing this work. And then, you know, the bush gets to get some vitality and a bit of life put back into it as well. So it's like we're creating this symbiotic relationship um, where, where, yeah, everyone wins. And, and I think that's really um, for me and a, from a Tao Māori view, because everything is interconnected, the more we take care of others and take care of things outside of ourselves, the more we're actually taking care of ourselves. You know, so it's like self-care looks like taking care of me and taking care of the people around me and taking care of my environment around me as well, because it's all me. <laughs> Kia ora. And Lauren, um, do you have any thoughts on that? Um, you know, maybe some thoughts around what people can do to help their local environment? Um, I think Tara covered really well. I mean, it's when we were out there in the Haikai Mata Ranges, you could tell the people there were just um, really enjoying it. And you could tell there was this subtle sense of, of pride. You know, if the land around you is healthy, you feel healthy. Um, and conversely, it can be a bit of a drag if you live in a place where it doesn't have a lot of that. So it's good to go somewhere that does to get inspired to see what, what difference can be made and, and start that long journey. But um, yeah, in terms of getting started, probably the best place to go is your local council. They'll probably be the best connected because there are all these disparate groups around. Um, we work with um, with trail groups, so we're happy to try and put you in touch with someone that's building trails. Um, but, you know, you've got forest and bird groups, might be a little bit of dock work going on. Um, there's a lot of... Uh, kind of anarchy in um in restoration there's a, there's a lot of um small groups and they kind of thrive on that like i think if you give people some some scopes of control to to do what they want to in their own area then they're going to feel more sense of ownership for it um so yeah just just council probably your, your best first first spot or just just google it yeah yeah my father's part of a um group that looks after a, an hour that runs past their place, the Wairua Stream, which connects up with the Kirikiri River. And so he has a section in front of his place um, that he traps. And so he's always giving me updates on, on what he's got in his trap. And um, But it's really cool because you've got lots of people along that hour all doing their little bit. And slowly but surely, you know, like Mati Taira said, the idea is to have that, those birds come back and and thrive once more. Yeah, um, I know, just to, to chip in on that, um, it's about it's about the first step. So, um, the people you meet when you first go along to something will usually connect you with others. I started. I I used to go every other weekend to Zealandia, the local sanctuary, and just top up the bird feeders there. And from there, I got more and more involved with with volunteering and um, restoration. So, all you got to do is make that first step, and then it kind of just flows naturally from there. Kia ora, Laura. So we're pretty much getting to the end now. That's all the partai I have uh, for this morning. Um, anybody listening, does anybody have any further partai for either Mati Taira or Lauren before we go? Oh, Anne wants to know, what's the story of how Hakarimata got its name? Oh, you'll be the man for that. Yeah, great question. Great question. I was actually um, uh, 
take took a, a group of people from Taiwan around um, on, on Tuesday um, and, and took them on a, a cultural historical hikoi and, and got to the part of sharing the story. And down in uh, in Naruawahi at the point, we've got a an old, our squash club is there. And on the squash club, there's a massive, there's two massive murals. On one side, there's uh, Ngaere and Hekei Terangi, who are the, the, the two lovers at the centre of the naming of the ranges. And um, on the other side is a, a mural of Ngaere himself sort of leaping up in the air and doing this fierce warrior kind of pose. Um, but basically, you know, in, in pre-colonial times, back in ancient Māori times, uh, in Naruawahia um, lived two brothers, Toa Kotara and Ngaere. And um, Ngaere had been, you know, he, he, he was like the, the, the ultimate warrior for his, for his family and his people. He was like athletic, he was, you know, he was just really good at everything he did. Um, and Toa Kotara, um, his older brother, was like, he was like the leader, you know, pe people just revered him. And uh, Toa Kotara was betrothed in, in the range to marry uh, Heke Terangi from Ngati Maniopoto, so down in Tikuitiwe. And um, they went down, you know, to have the formal gathering of the two families, and, you know, they're coming to meet to set up the, the these two for, to get married. And, um, of course, as you do when you have a gathering, you have a big feast and you have a big party. And so it comes to the, the, the evening for entertainment and, you know, and Toa Kotara is invited to come up and perform some items. So he gets up with his crew and his boys and, you know, they do a few haka and, you know, put on a bit of a performance and Hikei Terangi is impressed. She's just like, wow, you know, Toa Kotara, what a man. Um, and then Ngaere, you know, he gets invited to get up. And um, Ngaere being the, the beautiful, awesome athlete he is, um, puts on a real acrobatic display of, of dancing, you know, almost like break dancing. The, the man was just like, you know, out of this world and he absolutely blew Heke Terangi's mind. She was just like, wow, now this guy, Toa Kotara, that's awesome, but this guy, you know, he's on a whole another level. And um, yeah, knocked the socks off him. <laughs> Basically, uh, she sent her servant to go and fetch him that evening and you know, they, they met in private away from everybody else and it ended up eloping and taking off back to Narawahia and, you know, left everybody at the party kind of like, what happened? Um, yeah, and, you know, the, the families are in disarray. They moved back to Narawahia and, and they set up on Puke Iahua up on the little hill there by the Narawahia Cemetery now. And, you know, of course, uh, a few months later, uh, a baby arrives. And so word goes back to Hiki Terangi's family, Ngati Maniopoto, hey, you know, it's all good now. We've got a baby together. You know, let's bury the hatchet and come back together and, you know, and work it all out. Um, so Ngati Maniopoto turn up at Pukeiahua, Naruawahia. And, um, you know, same thing again. It's a grand occasion. We're celebrating this brand new baby. And to do that, we're going to have a feast. And so the delicacies of, uh, of Ngati Tamainupo were raw, um, foods um, and they were coveted you know their raw foods they were famous for their raw delicacies and so that was the feast that they decided to serve up for Ngati Maniopoto of their raw delicacies and so um, you know when it was time to for the feast uh, Maere he called out Wahia Ngarua you know open up those food pits it's time for feasting 
um, and then they laid out the food, and the food they laid out was a hakari kaimata, or a, a, a feast, a raw feast of raw delicacies. And so um, Wahia Ngārua became the name of the area, and Hakari Kaimata became the name of the rangers, um, shortened now to Hakari Mata. And so Hakari Mata is a raw feast, so whenever you look up there, you know, you say, oh, yeah, it kind of looks like a, you know, like a, a, a piled up table of raw delicacies up there. And, and um, that's what it's known as to this day. So, yeah, from that little bit of a um, <laughs> uh, love affair, um, you know, came the naming of this uh, beautiful township, Naruwahia. Um, and when the council came, they, they flipped it around for some reason to Ngārua Wahia. Um, but the original name, Wahia Ngārua, and um, the beautiful Hakari Mata Ranger. So, yeah, there you go, Anne. <laughs> awesome. Isn't that, isn't that cool? Like, just, you, you, these are the, the things you perhaps don't know about, but... Um, yeah, you suddenly feel a little bit more like you know the place when you know the stories behind them. Um, I think that's a really good place to leave our quarter this morning. And um, we've covered quite a lot. And I really want to acknowledge once again, Mati Taira and Lauren for your time this morning, for your answers and sharing uh, your knowledge, your stories, your thoughts with us. Really, really appreciate it. And... Um, if you're listening and you haven't delved much into the uh, Hikui for Hauora website yet, make sure you do. Uh, get on there, check out the Discover More pages and quizzes that are attached to those, and check out the Google Earth web tour and look at all the great videos from that Hikui we did in Hakarimata. Lauren's there, Matutaira's there, Karen from Sport New Zealand wasn't there. She was supposed to join us this morning, but just a quick shout out to her. She's busy trying to get back from Wellington. Um, but yeah, just really awesome to coordinate with you all this morning. And um, I look forward to catching up with you all again sometime in the near future. Mamahi Nui, that brings our web conference to an end. <laughs>